racism, the reality of it is it still exists. And it still exists because the foundation for what this country was based on years and years and years ago was really based on racism. It was based on, I'm a particular color, you're a particular color, and because of my color, you're, you're less than what I am, and you don't have the same rights that I do. Uh, and, and to some degree, that's the foundation of how this country was established. And it just it has taken us centuries uh, to get beyond that, and we're still not there yet. So it's not racism is not because of what you all have seen on TV the last four or five or, or six years of your life. That, that started a long time ago, and we just haven't gotten over that hurdle yet. And I'm hoping by the time you all become adults, you will play a significant role in addressing some of the racism that we see in our country. But it still exists. That was Chief White, and this is the Voice of Marbella podcast. The Voice of Mombello Podcast. Hi, welcome to the Voice of the Montbello podcast. My name is Nolani. Police brutality is a problem because it makes children and everyone in danger. And we need to stop the violence, and the violence needs to stop because as an 11-year-old, I feel like police brutality is wrong. In this episode, we interviewed Chief White to ask him about his thoughts on police brutality. We felt like this was important because unarmed people of color are getting murdered by police for no reason. For example, in the case of Philando Castile, he was armed but he was reaching for his wallet. Also in the case of Eric Garner, he got choked by police just because he broke up a fight. We believe police brutality is a problem and we want to fix it. violence needs to stop because I don't know if my brother or my little sister will get killed just because of the color of their skin or if the clothes that they're wearing. Violence isn't the right thing at all the time. As us being African Americans, we are scared and don't feel comfortable with police brutality. We're dedicating this podcast to all those who lost someone close to them. Too much deaths, too much violence. Let's work together and bring peace on earth. In loving memory of Jessica Hernandez. Philando Castile. Alton Sterling. In loving memorial of Trayvon Martin. Tamir Rice. Eric Garner. In loving memory of the brave officers who have died while performing their duties, including 
Brent Thompson. Michael J. Smith. Michael Crawl. Patrick Sambaripa. Lauren A. Hearns. Police violence is not good because people are getting killed for no reason. I think we need to make this violence stop because too many people are dying. This is a problem in our world and we need to fix it. Blue Lives Matter. This is what people are saying in response to Black Lives Matter. But what does blue, blue Lives Matter mean? This means that police lives matter. They made this up because police officers are all different races. Also, police that support Black, black Lives Matter were killed because there are people that are racist and don't like in what other people believe in. Also, police lives matter, but I also think that all lives matter, especially Black Lives Matter, because blacks are being targeted most of the time. Some people say that Black Lives Matter is not a very good group, but I disagree because black people are getting targeted more than other groups. Some people say that black-on-black -black crimes is what Black Lives Matter should stop. Many others say that if you say Black Lives Matter, you're against blue lives. But I believe blue lives also matter because if you kill the police, you are rightly arrested and prosecuted. There are more white victims of police brutality than any other race, but black males are targeted more than others. In fact, of all people killed by police in 2015, 40% were black males. Because of the brutaling and killing of black people at the hands of society in general and the criminal justice system in particular, it is important that we say Black Lives Matter. Quote written by Patricia Leary. Black Lives Matter. White Lives Matter. Brown Lives Matter. Blue Lives Matter. Listen to the first words of my sentences. What are they? They're colors. Colors that people label us by. People that think we are. I'm alive and proud. We say black lives matter, but we really mean all lives matter. Martin Luther King wrote a speech about having a dream. He also said injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. You know I had a dream. A dream to have peace on earth. But that recently faded away. I saw the police shootings and I didn't like it. I don't want to be in a country where all people just care about labels. Let's change this problem. Let's work together and bring peace on earth. We wanted to interview Denver's Chief of Police, Chief White, to learn about what we can do to bring our community and police together. We created videos to present him to come. It worked. We set up a time to interview him at our school. Chief White is the Denver Police Chief. He is a hardworking man. He's been working as a police officer for 40 years. He is the 69th Denver Police Chief. Chief White is a funny guy. I think he is a funny guy because when we interviewed him, he said to his daughter on the phone, okay, I'm going to this interview because I don't want to get beat up by a bunch of sixth graders. That was funny and respectful as well. He is also honest and open-minded. We interviewed him because we wanted to truly know if he supported people of color and if he cares about police brutality. 
When we met Chief White, he was cool with some good humor. So when we interviewed him, he was calm. But we did not really know who he is, what type of person he is. So what are we trying to find out? Who, uh, who and what type of person is Chief White? We hope you enjoy this interview. morning. This wasn't your way of getting out of class, was it, for the day? I hope, I hope, I hope not. I hope not. Welcome to Fight. Thank you for coming to our podcast. Great. Well, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I'm sure as many of you can imagine, I have to do a lot of things in the course of a day, and I saw this, uh, this video from what was the young lady who did that video? Where is she? Brazil. Okay, I saw this video and it was sort of like uh, saying a lot of things about policing and then it was inviting me to come to the school. And I said, you know, I got a lot of things to do. I don't know if I have time to go and get beat up by a whole bunch of sixth graders. I'm, I normally get beat up by a lot of adults, but I don't know if I need to get beat up by a sixth grader. So then I spoke to my granddaughter, who's a sixth grader in North Carolina. She says, uh, Grandpa, you, you, need to deal with, you need to deal with us because we're the future and we're going to take care of you when you get older than what you actually are. And I thought about that and I said, you know, there's nothing more important of all the things that I have to do in the course of a day. There's nothing more important than talking to people that will be the future of our, the future leaders of our country. So I'm here. Uh, I want to thank you for the invitation. Uh, and I'm really here because you really are the future. And, and it's important to me that you know that I care about you uh, uh, as, as, a, as a police officer. And at the same time, it's important to me to hear from your perspective. I heard some of the things. But to hear from your perspective uh, what you think about policing, what you think we're doing, and why we're doing it, it gives me an opportunity to hear from you. But at the same time, it gives me the opportunity to perhaps explain to you some of the things that we do and why we do those particular things. So I guess we should uh, we'll start off with, with questions. But let me, let me warn you all first. You know, I'm, uh, I'm a little older than everybody in this room. God damn, I look around. I am older than everybody in this room. But I'm big into physical fitness. So do you all take, is it P, what's it called? Is it PT? P-E. P-E? Okay. Uh, so I'm big into P-E, and I, and I exercise every single morning. So about 10 years ago, when I was leaving one police department, and going to another police department, I went to my doctor. I say, Doc, I exercise every single morning, and I just don't like the outcome of my fitness program. And the doctor says, uh, White, how much water do you drink? And this is important. I say, I, you know, I don't like drinking a lot of water. I might drink maybe 10 glasses of water a year. She says, you got to drink more water because water flushes your body. It keeps you healthy. It keeps you young. It keeps you fit. It does a lot of things for you. So about 10 years ago, I started drinking water. I exercise every morning. I exercise this morning, 6 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning to 8 o'clock. And every morning I exercise, and part of my exercise program is I drink about eight glasses of water every morning. Now, I'm sharing this with you all to let you know that in about 25 minutes or so, I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so just so you know, in case I get up and leave, you know I had to go to the bathroom. Uh, but the other message is you all should be drinking water. Not sodas, not Kool-Aid, not all those other things. Make sure you're drinking water. Water is healthy and it's good for you. Okay, now let's get on with the questions. 
Hello, T-Flight. My name is Nalani, and I really wanted to know why you became a police officer. Okay, great question. Uh, when I was six years old, which is younger than everybody in this room, uh, I was actually raised in Washington, D.C. Uh, what's Washington, D.C.? Is our capital. nation's capital. Great, okay. Uh, I was raised by a single mother. We were in, uh, but before we moved to Washington, we were we were in Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, uh, and we were in downtown Richmond. And I was six years old, and I saw this uh, young lady that was about my age. So, uh, and she was talking to a police officer, and I had asked my mother, I was saying, "How come that police officer is talking to that little girl?" And my mother stated that the, the little girl was lost, and the police officer was going to help her find her parents. So, believe it or not, before. Younger than all of you in this room, at the age of six, I decided that's what I want to do when I grow up. I want to, I want to grow up, I want to be a police officer so I can help people. Uh, and I'm, I am an individual that has been fortunate enough to actually live the dream. The only thing I ever wanted to be was a police officer. But I, well, let me tell you, it's, it, at one point in life, now my wife is a retired school teacher, and she taught, I was a policeman in Washington, D.C., and she was a school teacher in Washington, D.C. So there was a short period there where I thought perhaps uh, if I wasn't going to be a police officer, I was going to be a school teacher uh, in the in school in Washington, D.C. Then I got to really thinking about it, and the school that she taught in, I thought it's a lot safer being a police officer versus being a school teacher in the school that she taught, taught in. So I decided to stick with being a police officer. So the answer to your question is, I always wanted to be a police officer. And I always wanted to be a police officer for the sole purpose of helping people. Thank you, so, for, thank you for that question. Hello, my name is Alondra, and why do you want to, to move to Denver? Okay, her next question was, why did I want to move to Denver? Uh, I've actually been, again, I've been fortunate, as I stated, I've been a police officer for a long time, and I've been a police officer in five police departments. Denver is obviously, uh, this is the fifth one, and, and maybe, maybe the last one. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. And the reason I moved to Denver was, you know, all of us are, all of us are good at something. All of you all have some talent that you're good at, and you're better at that than other people are. And we all have our strengths and our weaknesses. The one thing that I like doing as a police officer, specifically as a police chief, is uh, I like to bring the police department and the community closer together for the safety of the community. And that's, kinda, that's called community policing. And when I was in, prior to being in Denver, I was in Louisville, Kentucky uh, as a police chief. And I, was, and I had been there for eight years, and I was ready to kind of move on to the, to the next adventure. And I started reading about Denver, and I started reading about some of the challenges that the Denver Police Department was having with the community. They weren't as connected as possible, because I will tell you that if we're going to, our number one job as police officers is to prevent crime from occurring. And if we're really going to do that, we really have to connect with the community. So I saw this as an opportunity uh, to learn from, to, to maybe, from all the things that I have learned as being a police officer at that time and all the mistakes that I had made uh, from being a police officer, to, to bring those lessons, those positive lessons to Denver and help the men and women of our police department do a better job in working with the community uh, so we can do a more effective job in addressing crime and per actually in preventing crime from occurring. 
Hello, Chief. My name is Justin. And what did you, what did you experience uh, in your life that inspired you to become a police officer for 24 years? Okay. Well, actually, I wish it was only 24 years. I actually been a police officer for 40 years. Uh, but I started when I was like 10 years old, so <laughs> I'm really not that old. Uh, and actually, what inspired me to do that is that that little girl that I saw when I was six years old uh, talking to that police officer, uh, and that police officer was committed to helping that little girl find, find her parents. So for me, policing is all about helping people. Chief White, my name is Daniel. Since you're a man of color, what was your perspective on police brutality before you joined the force? Okay, so his question was, given that I'm a person of color, what was my perspective of uh, the police prior to jo jo joining the police department? Uh, when I was uh, maybe nine years old, uh, we, we were living in Washington, D.C., and I was a paper boy. Back in the old days, paper boys used to have to deliver, deliver the paper to the, to the resident house. Uh, and I got robbed by some other kids. Uh, and paper boys also, back in those days, had to collect money. So in other words, I would deliver paper to your parents' house. And then at the end of the week, I would knock on their door, and they would have to pay for the papers that we delivered. So when I was nine years old, uh, I got robbed by these other two young boys of color of all my paper, all my paper route money. Um, so, and a police officer actually came and kind of took the report, took the robbery report, and I gave him a description of the kids that did the, did the robbery, and they ended up making an arrest on those particular individuals. And those individuals that did that robbery were individuals of color. So I, I never, prior to becoming a police officer, I never had any really uh, strong opinions about uh, people of color uh, being overly police. Now, since I have become a police officer, and especially since I have become a police chief, and I've been a police chief in different departments now for almost 20 years, I, uh, it has become very clear to me that there are parts, there are, there are cities in our country, and there's even certain communities uh, in, within those cities where police officers don't fairly treat everybody the same. So I am, I am of the opinion, and I have to tell you, that why I think most police officers come to work every single day and they do the right thing, there are small pockets of police officers who do not treat everyone the same, especially uh, when they're confronting people of color. So I, I agree with a lot of what you see on TV uh, to, a lesser agree, uh, to a lesser degree that there are instances where there are police officers that are not treating people the same way simply because of their color. But when I was young and when I was your age and even when I was a teenager, I didn't have that opinion. I really did not clearly get that opinion until I, until I actually became a police officer and I got to working with police officers and I got to, and I got to see how some of them mistreat individuals. Uh, which is really why I was more determined to stay on the police department to get these ranks and try to become a chief so I can help make so I can help make some of those changes. Great question by the way. My name is William and why do you think racism exists? Why do I think racism exists? Well, uh, racism goes back uh, a long, 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 long time ago goes back, for our country, it goes back to the days of slavery. 
uh, and I'm, I'm sure you all are very familiar with the days of slavery. And to be honest with you, uh, and and to be to be perfectly candid, uh, there are still individuals in this country that sees people of color lesser than what they are. And to some degree, that is racism. And while we've made a lot of progress over the last hundreds of years as it relates to racism, the reality of it is it still exists. And it still exists because the foundation for what this country was based on years and years and years ago was really based on racism. It was based on, I'm a particular color, you're a particular color, and because of my color, you're, you're less than what I am, and you don't have the same rights that I do. Uh, and, and to some degree, that's the foundation of how this country was established. And it just it has taken us centuries uh, to get beyond that, and we're still not there yet. So it's not racism is not because of what you all have seen on TV the last four or five or, or six years of your life. That, that started a long time ago, and we just haven't gotten over that hurdle yet. And I'm hoping by the time you all become adults, you will play a significant role in addressing some of the racism that we see in our country. But it still exists. It's not as, it's not as prevalent as it was 50 years ago or 100 years ago or, two, or 200 years ago, but there's still a lot of work to be done to, uh, to get rid of it. My name is Evelyn. I'm sorry, what's your name? Evelyn. Okay. How do you think police should be trained in order not to be panicked, like in the case of Orlando Castillo? So you're asking me, how do I think police officers should be? I want to make sure I'm understanding this because uh, this is a real time scenario. How do I think police officers should be, should be treated in the case of. Huh? Trained, trained. trained. Okay, great. This is, <laughs> uh, I want you all to pay very close attention to what I'm about to tell you. And this is in the case of, what case? Okay. Uh, there have been a lot of controversial shootings in our community in Denver since I've been a police chief and prior to me being a police chief. So a lot of questions. And one of the reasons I came here is for this very reason. A lot of people, young people like yourselves, adults, uh, uh, all kinds of people in our community, they're asking, what kind of training are these police officers getting where they get involved in these shootings that appear to be unjustified, controversial? Let me tell you something. Uh, the Denver Police Department, that was involved in that, shoot, uh, that shooting that you're talking about. The, the men and women of our police department go to a police academy and they are very well trained. They know all the laws, uh, all the procedures, all the policies, all the city ordinances, very well trained. It's almost a year. They go in the academy for 36 months and then after they get out of the academy, then they have to work with a training officer for another 14 months. So it's almost a year of 40 hours a day, uh, 40 hours a week training that they get. Uh, they have lawyers come in and teach us, teach, teach, the, teach the laws. So when something happens, such as in the Castillo case or the Hernandez case or the uh, Ronquillo case or, or several other cases that have occurred in our country where police officers shot and killed someone, people, you all have been asking, based on what I have seen and what I've been told, uh, uh, some of your parents have been asking, uh, thousands of citizens in our community have asked the same thing. 
come those, how come those officers didn't go to jail? Which means how come they didn't, they didn't get indicted? Uh, how come the officers didn't get fired? How come the officers uh, didn't get suspended for some of those controversial shootings? I'm not going to say, when I say controversial, that doesn't mean it's right or wrong. That just means it is controversial. Most citizens, like many of you in this room, think that those officers' actions were illegal, that they broke the law when they shot somebody that was in a moving car and that car hit the officer, but that person didn't have a gun. I will tell you, most of the times, those officers' actions were legal. They were appropriate. They had a right to do that. And while a lot of citizens are questioning, did they have a right to do that? Let me tell you what the citizens are really questioning. And this is the biggest problem that we have in policing today across this country, not just Denver. They're, while they think they're questioning the, legal, the legality of what those officers did, they're really questioning, was it necessary? You understand the difference between just because something is legal doesn't always make it necessary. So the problems that we have in policing today, where we have these, these issues, these challenges, and people are questioning what, they, what we're doing, a lot of times they're questioning, they're thinking that those officers' actions were illegal. Many times those officers' actions were legal, but the real question should be, were those actions necessary? Let me give you a good example, and this, this didn't happen in Denver, so I feel very comfortable giving you this. Uh, before I was a chief in Denver, I was a chief in Louisville, Kentucky. So about two weeks before I came here, uh, this little old lady, about 80 years old, came to my office, came to my office, uh, my chief's office in, in Louisville, Kentucky. She says, Chief White, Sunday I went to church, and as I was parking my car, I saw this nice police officer across the street in the parking lot. I waved at him, he waved at me, and I'm thinking, oh, what a nice, wonderful police officer. So I go into the church, I come back out, and I look on my car, I have a ticket. So now this lady's about 80 years old, she's driving from one end of the town all the way to police headquarters to tell me about this $50, I think it might have been a $50 ticket. So she gives me the ticket, and she says, obviously, that young, that nice police officer made a mistake when he wrote me the ticket. I look at the ticket, I says, Mrs. X, I forget what her name is. Nope, that was a legal ticket. He was right in writing that ticket. What she had did was, she parked too close to the intersection. Not dangerously close, but too close. So this is what the problem is. So that officer had three choices. Choice number one, uh, he could have just ignored it because it wasn't that big of a deal, and nobody really uses that street uh, except for the people that go to that church on Sunday, to be honest with you. So he could have completely ignored it. Choice number two, he could have told her that she was parked too close to the intersection. Choice number three, he could have wrote the ticket. So he decided to do choice number three. He was legal when he wrote that ticket, but the question becomes, was it really necessary to write that 80-year-old lady a $50 parking ticket when he had those other options. And that's the problem that we have in policing today. These Some officers are involved in shootings, and they're absolutely legal in those shootings, but the question becomes, was it really necessary to do that? So one of the things that we're doing in our police academy, when our police department is, we train officers on uh, legally what their responsibility is, what the laws and the policies and the procedures and the traffic regs and all that other stuff. We train them on that. The other thing that we're training him on is not only do we want you to make all of your actions legal, we want to make sure that they're absolutely necessary. Is it in the best interest of the community to make some of those decisions that you're making? That's very important. 
when you see a lot of stuff going on on TV that you've seen, I don't know if you saw the incident that occurred in, uh, what was the, uh, Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma, or oh, I don't know if you saw the incident that occurred in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, when you see a lot of those incidents uh, and you're thinking those actions are really legal, illegal, some of them might be illegal, but some of them might be legal. But what you really should be asking yourselves, doggone it, even if it's legal, was it necessary for that person to be shot while they had their hands up in the air? Then more than likely that might have been pretty illegal. Or, and that was the Tulsa incident, but that's, that's yet to be seen. Uh, or was it necessary for that person to be shot when they refused to listen to the police officer or they reached into uh, the, window of a, the window of their car not knowing what they were going to pull out? Was it necessary to shoot and kill that person? That action might have been perfectly legal, but was it really necessary to do that? Did it really warrant that happening? So you need to understand a lot of the things that you see on TV uh, or, or that you hear about don't be so quick to say that was an illegal action. Some of it was, but not all of it. What you should be really asking yourself, was it really necessary for that to occur? Big difference. The biggest problem we have in policing today across this country, citizens are really questioning uh, the necessity of why we're making some of the decisions that we're making as police officers. So thank you very much for uh, asking that question. You guys really came prepared. <laughs> My name is Wendy, and I wanted to ask you, can you be more specific about police training? Can I be more specific about police training? Yes. First, let me say this. Uh, our police department, most of the police officers have a four-year college degree. It's not mandatory, but most of them do have a four-year college degree. So they're coming in with the four-year college degree. But also, before I go into that, we have a cadet program. So once you graduate from uh, <coughs> high school, you can actually sign up for the cadet program uh, and we will pay, the city will pay for your college degree and pretty much guarantee you a job in the police department, the fire department, or the sheriff department. So that's my little recruiting ad for, for all of you all. I know all of you probably want to be uh, police officers. You don't want to be a firefighter. Firefighters make chili and they clean, and they clean fire trucks. You don't want to be up for a living. You kind of want to do something that, that, that really is exciting work. Gosh, I hope nobody in here parents a firefighter. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so this is a requirement. They had to go through this extensive, this long background, checking on their past history, their past work history, uh, their past crime history. Uh, have they, if they taken drugs, uh, what kind of drugs, and how long ago was it? Uh, checking with their resident, the, the community people that they live around. They, uh, then they had to take a psychological exam, had to see a psychologist, they had to take a physical exam. Uh, uh, and that could take months. It could take anywhere from three months to six months to go through that process for every person. I would say one out of ten people who apply for the police department ends up getting a job. So that's to get in the police department. So then they get into the police academy. We have a, we have a police academy. Uh, and they had to go through 36 weeks of training. Uh, they had to learn what all the laws are uh, according to the Constitution of the United States. They had to learn what all the, the policies are for every city has different ordinances. So they had to learn what all the policies are as it relates to the city and county of Denver. Uh, they had to do, uh, then they have training on how do you deal with individuals that are in crisis, individuals that have some mental challenges. They get training on how to deal with that. Then they, obviously they learn how to drive, they learn how to shoot. Then they have to do, what do we call it, PE, did you say? PE. Yeah. PE, they have to do that pretty much every single day. So it's a lot of learning, a lot of book learning, 
Uh, and obviously they had to learn how to take reports, they had to learn how to use computers or notebooks or, what, or whatever it is. I still don't know how to do it. I had to get my grandkid to show me how to do half that stuff. Uh, had to learn how to write tickets. So I had to learn, they had to learn what all the laws and policies are. They had to learn how to, to use the technology that we have. Uh, uh, and then they had to do all the physical stuff, the, the shooting, uh, the, the PE, uh, and, and the driving. So all of that takes about 36 weeks. So then after they graduate from the academy, and they all don't graduate, and if you flunk three tests, you're, you, you're, out of the, you're out of the academy. You can no longer be a police officer. So they can only flunk three tests, and they probably take maybe, I don't know, maybe 40, 30 or 40 tests during the course of this 36 weeks. And they have to get a certain grade also, and I think the grade is 75 or, or higher. I'm not 100% sure. It might be 80, but I think it's 75 or higher on these particular tests. So after they do that, they go to a graduation, uh, and then they get assigned to one of, if you live or work in Denver, you're in one of six police districts. So then they get assigned to one of those districts. And when they get assigned to that district, then they spend the next, I think, 12 weeks working with a, a, a training officer, somebody who's is their job to, before we let this person go out and ride by themselves, they have to work with this experienced training officer to make sure that they, they know the geography of the, the, the uh the district that they're working in, they know how to properly make traffic stops, uh, uh, know how to properly take these reports. So you, so what happens is you learn one thing, like you learn something in school, and then they learn something in school, and then they have to go out and absolutely, absolutely apply what they learn. But they have to do that under the uh, under the control of a teacher, for the sake of this conversation, a, a training officer, and that's about another anywhere from twelve. To, to 16 weeks, depending on how fast they get to that point. So now we almost have a year from the point that somebody gets into the police academy to the point that they can actually uh, police in those neighborhoods. So that's a lot of training that they, that they absolutely have to go through. Hello, Chief White. My name is Janela Martinez. If you were a parent of a victim of police brutality, how would you handle it? Okay. Great question. Uh, if I was a parent of a victim of a police, police brutality, why is it brutality? Does it, suppose, let's just say I was a parent of a, of a, of a, uh, a person that was uh, injured by the police. But no, we'll say police brutality, if that makes you feel good. Uh, First of all, the first thing that I would ask is, what was my, and I have two boys and a girl. Uh, my, my daughter's my princess, so I know she would never be in that situation. But I would ask my sons, what were you doing to get yourself in that situation? And we're gonna talk about that a little bit before I leave, by the way. That's the first thing I wanna know, is uh, what were you doing where you got to be uh, assaulted by a police officer? Did you contribute to that? Okay, and after, we had that conversation, and I felt that the officer's actions were inappropriate. I would go straight to police headquarters, ask to speak to some supervisor, or depending on what it was, maybe get a lawyer and say that we're gonna that we're gonna deal with this. If the person, if my son was got arrested, then obviously I would have to get a lawyer. And if I felt that the uh, the officer's actions were inappropriate, uh, uh, I would get an, a lawyer. I would have a lawyer also address that from a from a civil perspective. But obviously I would be very upset about that. 
Uh, and I would certainly want, and if I felt the police officer's actions were inappropriate, I would want to hold that police officer accountable for his or her actions. Hi Chief Mike, hi Chief Fight, my name is Hector and I want to know if, are police officers usually justified when killing someone without a gun? Okay, uh, it, it just, it depends. His question was, are police officers usually justified when they kill someone who doesn't have a gun? It just depends on the scenario. It, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, depends, it depends on the scenario. If, if, uh, if I'm driving a car and the car is coming towards the police officer and it's, hitting, it's going to hit the officer or it's hit the police officer and the officer has no other option but to try to save his life, his or her life, and they have to use a gun to do that, that might be very well justified. Uh, or if you and I are in a fight, we're fighting, and this happened in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, we're, we're actually fighting. You don't have a gun. I actually have a gun. Uh, and as a result of that fight, now you're trying to take my gun from me. Uh, and you might be getting the best of that particular scenario. And I feel that if you actually get in you and you're actually beating me, and if you get that, and if you get my gun, and I mean, and I'm at the point where I might be kind of going unconscious. And if you get my gun, I'm, I'm going to be very fearful that you're going to shoot me. So I'm fighting you over my gun, and I might have to, and if, and if I'm able to get my gun in order to protect my life, to, be, uh, to continue to, to make sure that I survive, I might be justified in shooting you. But let me tell you what the bottom line is when it comes to police officers and shooting. Officers are trained to use the least amount of force less necessary to, uh, to address the issue. So, so, uh, so what that means is you call the police and it's, a, and it's a situation where they can talk the person out of committing whatever they're doing, they should do that. If it's a situation where it requires them to use mace uh, to, to, to fix that issue, that's what they're required to do. If it's a situation where it requires them to use their taser to address that issue, that's, that's what they have to do. And if it's a situation where they have to use a service weapon and they have no other options and somebody's life is in immediate danger, that's what's really important. A police officer, technically, the only time a police officer can use his service weapon, his gun, is if somebody's life is in immediate danger, uh, that's the, and uh, that's the, technically that's the only time they can use their gun. So that means that you call me as a police officer that comes to a scenario and the person is jeopardizing your life. Your life is in immediate danger. You're gonna die if I don't use my service weapon to save you, I'm justified in doing that. Or I'm gonna die if I don't use my service weapon to save myself, I'm justified in doing that. So, so the bottom line is officers uh, and there are rare exceptions, but we won't get into those details. The bottom line is officers are only authorized to use their service weapon uh, when somebody's life is in immediate danger. So then the other question becomes, a lot of adults ask this question is, well, how come they also don't shoot the person in the leg or shoot the person in the arm? Great question. Well, and how come you don't train officers to do that? So I want you to think about this. Uh, and I've been shot at three times, by the way, during, during my life, and I never shot anybody. Uh, it's just, I've just been fortunate. Uh, but I want you to think about this. If my life is in immediate danger, that means that uh, 
or if somebody else's life in immediate danger and I have to use my gun, what I want to do, I want to make sure I'm hitting what I'm shooting at. So we train officers to shoot at the largest part of the body because we want them to hit what they're shooting at because it's a life-threatening situation. Now, if they got the time, if they have the time to sit back, aim, and uh, say, I'm going to shoot you in your arm, I would probably say their life is not in immediate danger, to be honest with you, if they have that kind of time. So when we're training officers at the range, uh, when it comes to the service weapon, for the most part, if they have to do it, we want to make sure they're hitting what they're shooting at. So they shoot, even though it doesn't always happen this way, they're trained to shoot at the largest part. Now, un unfortunately, the largest part of your body is where your organs are. It's where your heart, your kidney, and your liver are. And unfortunately, sometimes that results in, 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 in death. Yes, sir. Hi, my name is Edwin, and do you think police brutality is a big problem, and what are you doing to fix it? Okay, great. Uh, do I think police brutality is a big problem, and what I'm doing to fix it? I think police brutality is a problem. I don't necessarily think it is a, it, it's a big, big, big problem, but one incident is, is, is too many incidents. So what we do to fix it is, number one, we have zero tolerance. We do not tolerate police brutality in the Denver Police Department. And when there are examples of that, those individuals are held accountable. A held accountable means they're disciplined. And discipline could run anywhere from getting a fine to being fired, depending on what the scenario is. But more importantly, uh, during that whole training process, a young lady was asking me about our, our training. Uh, we, talk the, we talk about the importance of, of making good decisions making decisions that are legal, making decisions that are necessary so it doesn't get to the point of, of police brutality. But the reality of it is there are some people, I mean, you have good teachers, bad teachers, good doctors, bad doctors, uh, good reporters, well, so-so reporters, bad reporters, uh, and, and, and good reporters. I said that for the reporter here. And you have good police officers and some bad police officers. The bad police officers, it's my job to either correct their behavior or they need to find another job. So we have zero tolerance for that.